Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to Yahweh. When daylight came, he summoned his disciples, and he chose twelve of them. He also named them apostles. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. After coming down with them, he stood on a level place with a large crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those tormented by unclean spirits were made well. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. Luke 6, 12 through 19. We've been going through Luke chapter 6 and we've covered two controversies in verses 1 through 11. And both of them had to do with Sabbaths, Sabbaths controversy. And we come to a text now in which Yeshua handpicks 12 men out of a larger group of disciples. And we want to jump, we'll jump right into it here in verse 12. We'll begin with verse 12. It says, During those days he went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent all night in prayer to Yahweh. During his ministry, the days in which he spent doing the work of Yahweh, the text tells us that Yeshua went out to the mountain to pray to Yahweh. And not only do we see Yeshua praying here, and he was a man of prayer, but the text says, Luke records that he spent all night praying to Yahweh. Now, I don't know what that's like, because I've never done that. I've never spent all night in prayer to Yahweh. I don't even think that I could spend all night in prayer to Yahweh. I remember growing up when I was a little boy, sometimes... My grandfather or uncle or mom or dad would take me to something that was called an all-night prayer meeting. But I always fell asleep at least for a few hours during those all-night prayer meetings. And at the prayer meetings that I went to growing up, you'd usually have at least five to ten people there with you, other people that would pray, and so they would help keep you awake even if you wanted to go to sleep <laughs> because some of them were loud prayers. But here Yeshua is all by himself. There's nobody with him. He's at the top of a mountain or somewhere on the mountain, and he's praying all night to Yahweh. And I often wonder not only what that would be like to pray all night to Yahweh, but I often wonder what it was like to pray to Yahweh as Yeshua, to be Yahweh's only begotten son. See, we're thankful that we're adopted into the family. And we may be Israelites, we may be Christian Israelites, but we're not begotten sons of Yahweh. There's only one of those. And I can't imagine what it would be like to be the son of Yahweh and have that type of relationship with the Almighty. How he must have felt when he knelt down and when he prayed. Different from any man to ever walk the earth. I think it would be extraordinary if you ask me. In verse 13 it says, When daylight came, he summoned his disciples and he chose twelve of them and he also named them apostles. 
Now, I take this to mean that the choosing of the twelve apostles was so important that verse 12 says, Yeshua spent the previous night before this choosing praying to Yahweh. I take this to mean that part of the reason he was praying all night to Yahweh was because he had a big decision in choosing out of numerous disciples, 12 particular apostles. Let me spend a little bit of time on this. Yeshua believes in Yahweh the Father. He, he believes in Yahweh his Father. He knows that Yahweh is in control. He knows that Yahweh his Father in heaven declares the end from the beginning. And he knows that Yahweh can decide to do something and no one can stop the hand of Yahweh. Yeshua knows all of this. He knows that Yahweh is sovereign, yet this doesn't stop him from praying about this earthly decision. I want you to think about that. Have you ever thought to yourself, I know I have, have you ever thought to yourself, if Yahweh is sovereign, and if Yahweh's in control of everything, why do I need to pray? I know I've thought that. I thought, well, if he's going to work everything out like he wants to, why do I need to bother him with my requests? Well, first of all, we may reason like that. But did Yeshua reason like that? Well, not according to this text. If anyone knew the power that the Almighty Yahweh had, it was Yeshua the Messiah. Yet he chose to pray about his decision in choosing which men would be his apostles. And it wasn't just, now I lay me down to sleep prayer. Right? Bless the Lord and bless the cook, as I heard one man pray not long ago. Let's eat. Wasn't one of those. It was an all-nighter. So Yahweh's sovereignty did not stop the only begotten Son of Yahweh from praying about a decision that He had to make. Now I, Brother Matthew, I cannot explain to you all the details and the harmonies of Yahweh's sovereignty and man's responsibility. I know the Bible teaches the sovereignty of Yahweh, absolutely. And I know the Bible also teaches man's responsibility, that man must do things like repent, believe, obey. The Bible teaches both of those. I'm not smart enough to tell you all the intricate details and how all that harmonizes together. Not only am I not smart enough, that's not my department anyhow. <laughs> that's not where I work. I work in the department where Yahweh commands, Matthew, you pray. And so I pray. And I believe the part in Scripture that says Yahweh's sovereign and He works all things according to His own counsel. I believe that part too. But that doesn't make me not want to pray. And we'll get to this in a second. That actually makes me want to pray. What I do know is that we are commanded in Scripture to pray. We're commanded in Scripture, do not be anxious about anything. And boy, I break that one every day. Do not worry. That's what it means, do not be anxious. Do not worry about anything, but let everything, all of your supplications and your requests be made known to Yahweh. To not take burdens upon yourself, but to cast them upon the sovereign, almighty Yahweh. Now, like I said, I break that every day. I'm always anxious about things. I worry. I'm a very bad worrier. And I ask Yahweh to forgive me for that every day that I live. And I try my best to fight that and pray to Him. But I'm not that big of a prayer. I'm not that big of a prayer warrior. I told a brother, I think it was yesterday, that I'd been praying for him, and he thanked me for it, and I said, listen, I don't want to put on like I'm something I'm not. I haven't been pulling any all-nighters for you, 
but I've been throwing up a lot of 30-second prayers every day <laughs> here and there because, you know, that's just Brother Matthew. Maybe that's an area where I struggle. Um, there's other areas where I don't struggle as much in my relationship, like in study or in reading. But in prayer, I'm not that big of a prayer. But I do pray for the request that we're given every Sabbath. And even if it's just going over it in my head as I ride down the road silently or maybe I mouth it to myself. So Yahweh has commanded me to pray. I don't worry about all the details, all the intricacies, how he's going to work all that out. I just do what he says, and I know that he's going to do the rest, right? Keith Green sang a song one time. He said, you just keep doing your best and pray that it's blessed, and he'll take care of the rest. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Praise Yahweh. I love Keith Green. You ought to listen to him if you've never listened to him. So we are commanded to ask Yahweh to lead us and to guide us in the proper ways and decisions that we make. And I do believe that part of this is because Yahweh doesn't only catch this now. This is maybe a little bit deep. At least it was for me when I first heard it. Yahweh doesn't just only ordain the end result. He also ordains the means to get to the end. Like if you're going on a trip, you know, a five-hour trip, and you've got a destination... He doesn't only ordain the spiritual destination. He ordains the means to get to that destination. See? In other words, if Yahweh ordains for you to be healed from a sickness or a disease, stress, a problem, or whatever, He can just as easily ordain for that healing to be accomplished through the anointing of oil, the laying on of hands, and the prayer of the elders, or through your praying about it as well. He doesn't just ordain the end. He ordains the means to the end. Now how that all works, once again, that's beyond my pay grade. I don't get paid enough money to figure all that out. Like Brother Tim says, I just know it works because I trust Holy Scripture. I've seen it happen. So I flip the light switch on, and I expect the light to come on, right? Now, one thing I've told people that ask me, they ask me this, Brother Matthew, if Yahweh is sovereign, then why do we pray? One thing I ask them in response to that is this, if Yahweh is not sovereign, if Yahweh is not in control, if He's not omnipotent, which means all-powerful, then why do you pray? Do you see that? They say, if Yahweh's sovereign, why pray? I say, if Yahweh's not sovereign, why pray? See, if Yahweh really doesn't have control, all-control... If Yahweh can't really move mountains without somebody's help, then why are we asking Him for anything? Why are we going to Him in prayer? Prayer right from the beginning presupposes Yahweh's ability to change a circumstance or a situation that you are currently in. When we see somebody that's sick, what do we do? We pray, Yahweh heal them of their sickness. Because as bad as I want to heal them, when I see somebody battling with something... And I can think of everything on the earthly realm. I cannot have the mind of Almighty Yahweh who thinks on realms way more technical and intelligent than me. I may want to heal them right then and there. But Yahweh may have another plan. See? So Yahweh healed their sickness. We pray that because we believe He has the power and the control to do that when He wants according to His will. When we want someone saved from their sins, saved from Yahweh's wrath. What do we pray? Yahweh, open their heart. Make them tender to you. Give them a new heart. Give them a new mind. Why do we pray that? Because Yahweh has the power to do that. 
prayer from the beginning presupposes Yahweh's ability and His all-powerful control. Listen, the mighty one of Scripture is not puny. He's not limp-wristed. He's not a weakling. He's not waiting for our permission to do anything. But He does allow us through prayer to cooperate in His plans and His purposes. Prayer changes things. But you know what it changes mostly? It changes us. Because we need strength. We need comfort. We need communication with Yahweh. And prayer kindles the fire of comfort and strength and communication with Almighty Yahweh. It does. And He's given us prayer as a gift to take our problems to Him. So we should never think, well, what's going to happen is just going to happen. Yahweh's in control. I don't got to worry about it. You know what that's like? That's like sitting on the couch and asking Yahweh, Dear Yahweh, I pray that my bills get paid this month. And you say, because you're in control, I'm just going to sit here and let you do that. Now, how silly is that? You know, Yahweh will answer your prayer, Christian, that you pray to Him and request that He supplies your needs and pays those bills. But the way that He'll do that is by giving you the strength and the ability to go out and work and provide for your family. That's the way He's going to answer that prayer. And Yahweh will get you through your trial. And the way that He will do that is through the means of your prayer, your travailing, your crying, and your trusting and having faith in Him. And through this way, we learn the lessons that Yahweh knows we need to learn. Amen? Now we think, why in the world am I having to go through this? Why me? Why do I have to go through this trial or this circumstance? Why did this have to happen in my life? I don't understand Yahweh. Anybody ever prayed that? I've prayed it. I've thought it. I think it often. But we don't have the all-knowing mind of Almighty Yahweh. But I do read Scripture. And I trust Holy Scripture. I believe it's inspired. The Scriptures were inspired. Holy men of old wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And I believe the parts of Scripture that says something like this, Brethren, count it all joy when you fall into different temptations and trials and tests, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience. Let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. I know that trials and circumstances and situations help build character and help build faith. One of the strongest times in my life, and I'm so thankful that Yahweh did not allow her to die, but one of the strongest times in my life, faith-wise, was when my daughter Rosalind, born dead, came back to life there in my house that we used to live in, close to Brother Arnold and Sister Hazel. Brother Arnold was there. He knows what I'm talking about. My faith went from here to here. When we were praying for her, and all of a sudden, after six minutes of a purple baby that wasn't breathing, we heard her whimper. I don't know where I would be right now had she have, had she have died. I would like to say that, that Yahweh would still be a big part of my life, Sister Phyllis, but I don't know that. I've never experienced anything like that. But through Yahweh answering that prayer, my faith was lifted, right? Right now, there's things and circumstances in my life 
that I'm asking Yahweh why. I'm not mad at him. We shouldn't get mad at Yahweh. But I'm asking Yahweh why. I'm trying to back off of it because I don't want to get to the point to where he gives me that answer that he gave to Job there in 38 and 39 and 40 because I'm not worthy to ask Yahweh those questions. But brothers and sisters, I struggle. I struggle with trusting in his sovereignty and his plan. But then I go back and I read the word and I see where he says, count it all joy. He's going to work it out. I'm called according to his purpose. And everything's going to go perfectly for me because I'm his child. And when I say perfectly, I don't mean all peaches and cream tiptoeing through the tulips. Listen, that's not what life serving Yahweh is about. Paul said in Acts 13 that through many troubles we would enter into the kingdom. Yeshua said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Through prayer, brothers and sisters, just like Yeshua prayed all night long to Yahweh, through prayer, Yahweh will help us. He will comfort us. He will strengthen us. And I'm preaching to myself probably more than I'm preaching to any of you guys today on that right there. Because I need it because I do not pray like I should. I don't. But you know, every time that I do, I feel that comfort. I feel that Yahweh... I, I, it's, not that, it's not that He reaches down and brushes my neck or anything like that. I just feel comfort and I feel peace that I just talk to Him. And when you pray to Him, you know, you don't have to use big words. You don't have to, you know, pray uh, these long, uh, lofty sentences, make everything sound like William Shakespeare or something like that. You don't have to do that. You just talk to Him. He knows who we are. He knows what we have need of before we ask it. And we're His children. He's there to comfort us. He's on our side, brothers and sisters. He's on our side if we're part of His family. And I love that. And Yeshua did that when He spent all night praying to Yahweh, His Father. See, Yeshua was a man. He really was. A man who needed Yahweh's touch. He needed Yahweh's guidance. Yahweh's lead in what he was about to accomplish. And Yahweh's sovereignty didn't stop Yeshua from praying. It made him pray more. He didn't just fall asleep because he thought, well, Yahweh's in control, so this choosing of the apostle thing, not, he's got it. He's got it taken care of. No, he prayed because Yahweh was in control. And then Yahweh helped him in his choosing. So in verse 13, he summons his disciples. He chooses 12 of them. And this shows that he had more than 12 disciples. He chooses 12 to be apostles out of the larger group of disciples. The word disciple means a student or a pupil. And the word apostle means a delegate or one who is sent out to follow in the work of their teacher. And Yeshua is choosing 12 men specifically to be sent out to do work just like him or similar to him. So in verses 14 through 16, we have their names. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And it's funny, you know, if we were called upon to name the twelve apostles. I wonder how many of us could actually do it without looking here at Luke 6, 14 through 16. I know I couldn't do it. We need to learn these things like this. I remember when I was growing up, we uh, had memory verses 
I was blessed to always be sent to Christian school. I'm thankful my parents thought enough of me as their child to do that. And we had memory verses, and I still remember those verses to this day. And we would go through the alphabet. We'd say like, A, all have sinned and came short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. You know, we go B and then C and then D, and we just go, and I still remember that, and I'm so thankful. And sometimes when I'm feeling down and out, I just quote the verses. I just quote the verses. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, let this be, going back to the prayer thing, Sometimes when I don't feel like I can pray, you know what I do? I just say the disciples' prayer, the one that Yeshua taught the disciples how to pray. I bow my head and say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And I just pray when I don't feel like I can, you know, talk. But here in verses 14 through 16, we have the names of the 12 apostles. They're also disciples. They're students and pupils of Yeshua. But now they're apostles. They're delegates. They're ones that are sent out from the Messiah. Now, Simon Peter, he's got two names. He's listed first. And if you look at each place in the New Testament where the names of the apostles are listed, Simon Peter is always listed first every time in the apostles. Now, I think, I could be wrong, but I think that it points to his leadership among the group of the twelve. Remember, Peter is the one who speaks up in the Who Do You Say That I Am text in Matthew 16, 13 through 18, uh, where he says, in response to Yeshua's question to the apostles, who do you say that I am? Peter pipes up and says, you're the Christ or the Messiah, the son of the living Elohim. Well, after Peter answers Yeshua, Yeshua makes a word play on his name, Peter, and the rock on which the assembly is built. I believe the rock that the assembly is built upon is the revelation that Peter had. But I think it's significant that Peter, whose name means, Petros in Greek means rock, I think it's significant that Peter gives that revelation. So the name Petros, or Peter, means rock. And the Greek word for rock, where he says, upon this rock I will build the assembly, that word is Petra. And I think that's a word pun. Whether you're using Greek or Hebrew, it doesn't matter. And using that wordplay helps us to see that Peter is being used in a unique way to bring forth the revelation from the Father in heaven. Remember, that's where he got it. Yeshua said, my Father in heaven revealed it to you. And that revelation is this, that Yeshua is the Messiah, the Son of the living Elohim. Andrew is next in the list, and Andrew is Simon Peter's brother, it tells us right here. And according to Mark 1.16, these men, Simon Peter and Andrew, they're both fishermen by trade. You remember back to Luke 5 when we covered about the nets and all that kind of stuff. These guys are fishermen by trade. James and John are listed next, and they're also fishermen who worked with Simon Peter according to Luke chapter 5. They're called the sons of Zebedee in some places, which Zebedee was their dad, their father. But they're also called the sons of thunder in Mark 3.17. What an adjective to be applied to your name, right? What if people knew you as Rocket, the son of thunder, right? Well, these guys were known as James and John, the sons of thunder, and it probably stemmed from their fiery attitude or the zeal that they possessed for righteousness. Next, we have Philip and Bartholomew, and we know very little about these men as they aren't mentioned much nor talked of very much in the New Testament. And then we have Matthew and Thomas. Now, Matthew was a tax collector, a publican, your Bible might say. And when we compare Matthew's gospel to Luke's gospel, we see that Matthew was also, he had an additional name, kind of like Simon Peter. Matthew had an additional name, 
and that name was Levi. And we can do this by paralleling the banquet where the Pharisees got upset with Yeshua because he was eating with the sinners. Well, in Matthew's gospel, uh, he's called Matthew, I believe, and in Luke's gospel, he's called Levi. It's the same story, and it's just two names for one man. A lot of people had two names back then, just like people have two names today. Thomas is the apostle that doubted Yeshua's resurrection. He was the one that said, no, unless I put my finger unto, unto the, the nail print in his hand and in his side, I won't believe. That's Thomas. He was also called Didymus in some verses. Then we have James, the son of Alphaeus. Now, that's not the same James that wrote the epistle of James, that Yaakov. It's not the same James. It's James, the son of Alphaeus. And then it says we have Simon the Zealot. And the Zealots were a political group that heavily opposed the Roman government in the first century A.D. And last we have Judas, the son of James. That's another Judas different from the one that I'm about to address. And then we have Judas Iscariot. And Judas Iscariot, that description, Iscariot, most likely comes from Ishkarioth, Judas Ishkarioth, or Yehuda Ishkarioth, as he would have been known. That was a Hebrew surname, and Ishkarioth means a man from Kerioth, and Kerioth is a region in the land of Judea. And I want you to notice that Luke records in verse 16, because he's writing this later than when it actually took place, he records that this Judas later betrayed Yeshua, he was a traitor. So Yeshua chooses a group of men to be his delegates. And he, get this, he chooses fishermen, a tax collector, a political revolutionary, a doubter, Thomas, and a traitor. These are some of the guys that he chooses to be his apostles. And don't think that the choosing of any of these men was by accident. None of it was by accident. Yahweh's sovereign hand was at work in all of this even in Judas Ishkarioth, even in him. See, the scripture had to be fulfilled, even the part that Judas Iscariot played. It had to be fulfilled. One thing to point out as I was putting this message together in all of this listing is that Yeshua used ordinary men. What I mean is that they were just ordinary people. They weren't the most notable men around they weren't the greatest named in the county or in the region or in the city, as we would say. They weren't the bankers or the lawyers or the doctors or anything like that. They weren't the most respected men in town. They were just common people. They were simple people. And Yeshua himself had a common and a simple upbringing as well. He was the son of a carpenter, which in all likelihood meant that his dad taught him carpentry. His fathers would teach their sons their trade back then. And he was from a small town named Nazareth. So small that when people first started hearing about him, they said things like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's so little and so small and insignificant. This should give us simple people like me, southern people like me, it should give us encouragement. Because Yahweh's not looking for people who are already something in their own eyes. He's looking for people who are nothing. And he makes something out of nothing. We used to sing a song in church and it said, Something beautiful, something good. All of my confusions he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful out of my life. 
as one man said, Yahweh doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. You don't have to be the most notable for Yahweh to use you. You don't have to be the banker or the lawyer. You don't have to be the rich man. Yahweh can use you. You can be a smelly fisherman. You can be a look-down-upon tax collector. You can be a political revolutionary. You can be a doubter like Thomas. And Yahweh can use you. When we exalt ourselves, Yahweh brings us down. A proud look and a haughty eye, Yahweh hates that. But when we humble ourselves, He exalts us in due time. Let's end with verses 17 through 19. After coming down with them, he stood on a level place with a large crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon. They came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those tormented by unclean spirits were made well. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. So Yeshua comes down off of the mountain and a large crowd of his students, his disciples, they gather around him and the text says also a large number of people, people that were not particular students or disciples of this man from Nazareth. And we read that they came to first hear him. I want you to remember the sermon I gave about the primacy of teaching. See, Yeshua always taught before his healing ministry. It wasn't just about the healing. Primarily about the teaching because he wanted people to learn Yahweh's ways. And the text says they came to be healed of their diseases. And that's because Yeshua possessed a unique gift of healing. The text also speaks of people tormented by unclean spirits. And I believe that that refers to demons or fallen angels. Hebrews chapter 1 refers to angelic beings, good angels, as ministering spirits. Spirits that come and help us. You know what the word minister means? It means to serve. They come and they serve us. And it's it's good. In the Psalms it talks about Yahweh sends your angels to encamp around about us and protect us in our ways and in our path. Well here we have something referred to as unclean spirits and I believe that it's the fallen angels. And that's really another standalone sermon in and of itself. Or as Brother Tim says, a ten-part sermon series in and of itself. <laughs> But I believe that demonic activity and oppression stem from the fall of one-third of the angels from heaven who followed a lead archangel known as the dragon or the adversary. And ever since then, they've attempted to wreak havoc upon the earth in attempts to stop the plan of Yahweh. But here in verse 18, Yeshua had authority over those unclean spirits. How about that? Isn't that beautiful? He had a special power from Yahweh. He had such a great power that people just wanted to touch him or some part of his clothing. We know one woman said, if I can just touch the tassel on his robe, I know that I'll be made whole. And the reason this text says is because power. Look at the end of verse 19. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. Such power that our Messiah had. What a sight this would have been to behold. 
to watch people with diseases be healed. Diseases like leprosy, serious, very serious skin disease where people were put outside the camp even when they had it. Withered hands like we read about on the Sabbath healing. People that were lame, they could not walk. People that were bent over like the woman in Luke chapter 13. People that were mute, deaf, or blind. They were all being healed by this man from Nazareth. And that's because he was the king of the coming kingdom of Yahweh. And the king had showed up, and thus people were experiencing a taste of what the kingdom was going to be like. In other words, no more pain, no more grief, no sickness, no disease. The king of the kingdom was there amongst them. And I can only imagine me being there in need of a healing or being tormented by an unclean spirit. I'm sure, I'm certain that I would have tried to push my way through the crowd to touch this carpenter from Nazareth. I know that I would have. Now, the next time that I teach, we're going to begin a trek through the rest of Luke chapter 6. But what I'd like to encourage you guys to do is this. Is take time every day to read Luke 6.20 through the end of the chapter. And we're going to get some privilege as we go through this when I teach on these verses. We're going to have the privilege of receiving some direct teaching from Yeshua the Messiah. And let me tell you, it is some very radical stuff. It's not as though I haven't read it before, but as I've been reading it, preparing up to what I'm going to be teaching on, I read some of it and I think, man, you know, that's so hard. That's so difficult. In other words, in my own fleshly ways, in my own carnal nature. It's very radical, but it, it's, it's life-changing, it's life-altering, it's very, very powerful. And it's all true, even though a lot of it doesn't sit well with many people, it's all true. Because it comes from the man who is the truth, the way, and the life. And so I'm looking forward to going through the rest of Luke 6 with you guys uh, next time, starting on it next time that I teach. I don't know how many verses we'll go through each uh, sermon. So hopefully you've learned some things or refreshed some things in your memory today. Let's stand and have a word of prayer as we close. Father Yahweh, I pray that we would be more praying people like your son. Pray that your control and omnipotence would cause us to rely on you more through prayer. Father, that we would not just sit down and act like there's nothing we need to do. We would that we would, Father, recognize man's responsibility and not use your sovereignty as an excuse for us to do nothing. Father, help me. In that, right there. Father Yahweh, I pray that we would be encouraged in seeing some of the, who some of these apostles were that were chosen. Um, because I know that as human beings, as people, we battle, if not daily, then at least a few times a week we battle with we're not good enough, we don't deserve anything. And... That is true because the only reason we are deserving is because of your Son. We don't deserve you in and of ourselves. But Father, you are gracious enough to use clay vessels and form us into beautiful vases. 
And I pray that we would be encouraged here as we see these common people, these fishermen and tax collectors being chosen for a great work that we would be encouraged to know that you qualify those who you call. Father Yahweh, I'm so thankful for your son. Um, It is a blessing to be able to read about him and and his works. And it is a privilege to be able to preach about his ministry through one of the Gospels that was written. Um, I've enjoyed it thus far, and I pray that you'd give me many, many more years to go through it so that we would learn from the greatest teacher to ever walk the face of the earth. Um, Bring us back here next Sabbath. Um, Might we continue to, to read our Bibles every day through the work week? Might we be encouraged? Might we do everything for your glory, eating, drinking, working, whatever we do, conversing with people? Might we be kind and gracious and loving? Point people to your son. Not stick our nose up at others. Not be haughty. Not be prideful. Not think we're better than anybody. But Father Yahweh, that we would be showing forth the spirit of Yeshua in humility and service to to other people. In whatever way that you choose us to do. Father, help us in those areas where we struggle. They may be different for everybody in here. But Father, those areas where we struggle, where we have problems with sin, problems with transgression. Father, whether they seem small or big to others, doesn't matter. It's all sin. It's all transgression. Help us in those areas. Help us, Father Yahweh. Help us, Father, to be forgiving people. If we're here, if we're trusting in your Son and His merits, you've forgiven us of much. Help us to give forth that forgiveness to others. Help me everybody in the congregation forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors help us Father Yahweh I pray all these things through your Son Yeshua the Messiah